0: So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com pockets. Fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship.
1: This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED lights, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com.
0: All right. Welcome, everyone, to this episode. Very special episode of On the Market. We are back in person. I think this is only the second time we've ever done this. Yep. Yeah. After our first episode. So we are celebrating. Woohoo. For our happy hour episode where we're going to drink fancy champagne, courtesy of Jamel. Thank you. You're welcome. It would have been fancier, but uh, I bought it, not James. (laughs) I don't even know what's fancy. In this, but, uh, James would figure it out. Yes, yeah. But uh, thank you all. We wanted to thank you all, first of all, for listening to this uh, this show. It's been a remarkably successful 82 or 83 episodes. We have millions of downloads and hundreds of reviews, and so thank you all. So we're going to give a toast to all of our wonderful listeners here. And I also want to point out these fancy. Uh, Chains that we have on James. Oh, yeah.
2: oh, yeah. oh,
0: oh my god. So instead of
3: hitting the equipment, you hit the guy that said you'll have I'm to pay me for the equipment. Sorry. I'm so sorry.
0: We just all right. we just killed someone. This is our celebration of a getting back together while we're while we're pouring this champagne i really wanted to uh, ask everyone listening to this for a favor if you haven't yet left us a review we would really appreciate it, it really helps with our rankings and everything that we do here on on the market and in honor of that, I'm going to read a couple of these positive comments and then a few of the mean comments, just just to <laughs> oh warm it up. Boy. I don't think you guys I'm have, do, it, do you guys read the comments then. on your YouTube videos I, I, or anything? I,
4: I, I obsessively read them. And in fact, uh, it's because of the comments that I make
0: changes to my appearance quite often. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna ask you about that in, in just one second, but I'll read a positive one first. We just got one that said they're big fan since the beginning, been listening since the first episode premiere. Oh, thank you. Day one, day one. Time. And I can easily say it's my favorite real estate investing podcast. The show always takes your reasonable and level-headed but optimistic view on real estate, Plus, the hosts all have real personalities—a feature that many real estate investing shows severely lack. Big thanks to all the hosts for providing useful entertainment. Awesome! I feel like that's a good. That's, that's that's yeah, that's like a, what we want. Cheers! Ah, exactly. Cheers to that! Absolutely. Ooh. Thanks, mom. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Cheers! She, she, she typed cheers. exactly what you told thanks, her to. Mom <laughs>
5: it comes through in the clutch.
0: Jamel, people have a problem with your beard. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. What is it? What is it about your beard? Well, um <clears throat> there's a few things.
4: <laughs> uh, so one of the things uh uh was that I you know my bar- my barber never told me that that you shouldn't grow your beard on your neck. So I guess I had neck beard uh, and that upset uh, th- hundreds of people. So um sorry. I've shaved it now. My I no longer have neck beard. Okay. Um and hopefully that solves the problem. If you have any more issues with my beard, leave me alone. <laughs>
0: Yeah that we had a comment and someone said Jamil please do something about your beard to which your friend Pace's wife Laura responded, "I love Jamil's beard." <laughs> to defend you, and then other people came to your, fa- to your to your defense, saying, "Never touch your face covering, Jamil." So my face don't. covering. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, Laura will fight for you in the comments. Uh, she'll go. She'll throw get
4: fisticuffs. Don't 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 mess with me. Listen um, to the to the people that are is interested in my facial hair as... I mean, I don't I don't get it. what? Why do you care? <laughs> why, why do you care? Why do you care about my beard? Zero
0: impact on your life. My favorite uh, one about me was that I'm a mediocre looking middle-aged bald man. <laughs> I didn't think I was balding, I but now, now I'm like looking in the mirror every day because one random person on YouTube is like... Are
4: you sure they didn't think that you're
0: David Green? No, it was me by myself. <laughs> no, it was a video of me by myself. Yeah, people always People always make these comments. But anyway, hopefully you all enjoy this. But we really do, just to show you, we read the reviews because we want your feedback. We really want to make the show better and better. So we would love your reviews, either on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify. It means a lot to us. And guys, one more cheers. Congratulations on the show. And then we'll move into the content where we're gonna answer some listener questions. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Uh, uh, Oh no!
4: uh, uh.
2: (laughs) which which, which one is
0: which
3: do you see mediocrity anywhere i see excellence
0: look what we got we should have had david on the show we're all here hanging out
1: all right this show is sponsored by airbnb Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: All right, so to start our happy hour, we're going to just ask a fun question to warm you guys up before we start asking the uh, hard-hitting question. So here is the first question. If you had to pick one other cast member to do a deal with, who would it be and which type of deal would you do? Ooh,
4: can I... Yeah. I I I want to do deals with everybody, but I think just logically it would be James because it would Mean that I'm rich.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's just like
0: rich by association. Yeah. Like you yeah, just yeah, partner yeah. with him. You don't even need to do yeah, a deal. Yeah, no, You're just rich. Yeah, if I'm in a sudden. deal with
4: James Danner, that makes me rich. Wow. Yeah. Yes.
0: Congratulations. Yes. Maybe we should all do it. <laughs> James <laughs> is going to be like, I would choose none of you. <laughs> <laughs> you guys
3: are terrible. Yeah. It's funny because I would also choose James. So <laughs> logically, logically, I would because we do a very similar business. And I think I've already learned a ton from him. So being able to do a deal and learn firsthand like the systems and practices that he put, puts into place on his deals would be super valuable to me. But also he's in a different niche like I don't do luxury flips, but mm. I want to. And so, like you know, my luxury flip to him is like an apartment in his market. So, like,
2: <laughs> so yeah,
3: I would love to do like a multi million dollar flip with James Daynard and just be a fly on the wall and then get fifty percent of lots of money at the end.
5: Let's do it.
0: <laughs>
3: I think we can make a YouTube series out of that. That sounds great. I also didn't mention that I don't want to put any of my own money in. Okay. It. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
5: That's the best kind of partner. You don't <laughs> need me. I
3: totally need you, but want half the profits. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All
5: right, Kathy. Well,
6: guys, I was gonna say James too, but that would be <laughs> be blushing. I, I, I bought them
5: all with James. Yeah.
6: Yeah. I want. I want. What is it? It's not triple digit. It would be a triple, triple, triple digit flip. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. That would be fun. That Nine would be fun to do flip. that. Yeah. Every
4: time James sees a triple digit flip, he's like peasants. <laughs> <laughs> Who has the time um, for that? Not even worth. Who it? has the time to make a hundred
0: grand?
6: <laughs> but but since you were since you were already taken so many times. I'm going to say you. Let's do a deal in Amsterdam. Let's, oh. do let's go do that. Houseboat.
0: We yes. can do something <laughs> fun. All right, great. Okay. I love that I idea. Like well, I can't play favorites, so I would say all of you, 20, <laughs> 20, 20, 20, 20%. There we <laughs> go. That's a smart way to
5: spread the money. What? <laughs> That's a, Spread the money. Yeah, That's exactly.
0: Yeah, we'll all do it together. All right, let's get into the actual audience questions we posted on Instagram and the Bigger Pockets forums to ask questions. Well, it's just going to be a free for all. Answer these as you see fit. So our first question comes from Jack Satan. Hopefully I'm announcing pronouncing that right. He says, one thing I'm fascinated right now is by new construction being cheaper than existing homes. Is this an opportunity for deals or is it a red flag that existing home supply could come down? And what does this all mean? What do you guys think about this? Yeah. So
3: my general thought would be is this is this a first deal for that investor? If it's your very first deal, I don't love the concept of new construction as a first deal. There is a lot to learn with new construction, and there's so many avenues. Are you buying a lot that's already zoned to do what you need to do? Right. Have you done the due diligence on the front side before you buy that loan? Can you get the permits and the approvals to do all those things? There's I'm doing my first new development project right now, and there is so much that has happened between when I bought it and now, and I haven't even broke ground yet. There was tons of hoops, tons of things that we had to get approvals for. It's cost a lot of money, mm-hmm. and we I haven't seen not one two-by-four go up yet, not one piece of concrete getting poured yet. And so it can take you a lot longer to get to your payday. And there's just, if you've never done it, if you don't have the network of people who are doing that, there's a lot that can surprise you and even kill your deal. Now, If you're surrounded by people who all they do is new construction and they are able to guide you through that process, then, yeah, it's probably not a bad idea. But if you don't have that infrastructure set up, if it's not something you've ever done before, I think buying something existing, you can find existing houses that are going to net you a decent profit. You just have to work hard to find them.
4: Dave, can I just clarify? Is the the question the idea that he's... Saying that new construction in like a similar neighborhood is is cheaper than an existing house is that the it's and so, happening in some places. Yeah, and yeah, so he's wondering like how is this possible, right? Like how mm-hmm. is how how are we getting new construction at a lower price than existing? Uh, well, I mean, I think that builders right now have discounted their inventory just to keep things moving, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there could be an opportunity there for there to be a little bit of equity. But I again, like Henry said, I mean, I think if you're, if you're dealing with new construction, there's no chance to really force appreciation, mm-hmm. right? And if you are buying new construction in hopes that there's some value there, it's speculative. Mm-hmm. So my opinion is, I think that, you know, I don't know that necessarily that there's a deal here, but if this person is just looking at, uh, you know, possible retail purchase and they want to move in and live in the house, I think it's good value. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think it's good value. And if there's an opportunity right now and you see a builder that's giving a discount because they're just trying to keep cash flow and, and keep inventory moving.
6: I think you know what I would say. Rich <laughs> and I got our start in new construction, but not we weren't doing the building. We were just buying a new home from a builder who already knew how to do it. We didn't yeah. have to do anything but pick pick the house. And when you're investing out of state and you're new at it, that that leaves a lot of issues off, that you're not going to have to deal with, old stuff and fixing things from afar. And we were able at that time to negotiate discounts because there weren't a lot of people yet clamoring for those homes. So it wasn't like a, we weren't getting a lot of built-in equity, but we were getting it where it cash flowed in an area where new construction was needed because there was growth in that area. And over a few years, though, the property tripled in value. So if if, if if new construction is happening in the area because the need is there and the demand is there and there's jobs coming and they can't keep up with all of that, then absolutely go for it. It's, it's a long play. It's not, nice. you're not making money right yeah. at the front. Right. But right. if you're investing for the long term and you want to have a bunch of paid off houses in the future, get a new one.
5: Yeah. And, and it comes down to the opportunity too, because a lot of times right now, for me, it always comes down to what is the replacement cost? Mm. And if I'm buying... Like right now, building costs were 350 a foot in Seattle. Like if you're buying something around that 400 a foot, which some of the stuff has came down to that pricing, you're paying basically what the builder cost to build it. And so it's a it's a lot safer thing to buy at that point. Or I, that's how I bought in 2008, was am I buying below replacement cost? And if I am, it's a win, even if the metrics aren't kind of going mm-hmm. together. Um, but the reason we're seeing pricing come down is because these, these builders have had these sites for a long time the negative part about investing in new constructions it takes a long time there's a lot of hiccups there's a lot of hair um there's a lot of unknowns and can get stretched out but the reason being is their performance were still way lower when they bought these things yeah. and now these these builders were having really cheap access to money we were paying six per five and a half to six percent on our development loans now they're 10. And so all that money has gotten really expensive. So these builders are just trying to shred down, get below the debt cost, and that they, they still have margin, so they're mm-hmm. just dropping them down. And also you just have unrealistic sellers in the remote like the existing. They just yeah. think because it's it's an emotional sale yeah. versus a business sale. Yeah. Totally. And you that's have to why think we're saying like
0: the, the business model, right? Like yeah. if it's just a homeowner, they're gonna hold out for the best possible price. Yeah. Right? A builder Cares about liquidity. They need to get their yeah. money out, and yeah. so they're willing to okay. drop. And I saw that even you know they're dropping prices eight, ten percent. Their margins are still as good as they were pre-pandemic. So it's not like the, a, on a national average. So it's not like all of them are taking a bath. Some of them certainly are, yeah. but um, you know it seems like a lot of them have some margin to give back and still can uh, turn a good profit. Well,
6: and their lender agreements require that they sell a certain amount every right. month. Right. They like have to, to sell, oh, and I know this personally. You, your your loan is like you got to pay the payment. Hmm. and and they do expect a sale to be with that the bank does they want Mm -hmm. to see that you're moving inventory so they got to move it this is a good time to buy new homes in my opinion
0: yep all right great great conversation all right so speaking of lending the next question is i saw someone say banks are going to change lending strategy and require more money down in states with declining markets is this true how do you navigate it and i'm just going to extrapolate this question are you seeing different terms just generally from lenders in your businesses
5: for sure yeah the the lenders are moving like if it's a local bank or if they're getting a buy down if they're in private wealth the all the the terms have been changing quite a bit well, i'm not really seeing people drop price on or that the, they're asking for more on the down but i can tell the appraisers are very conservative right now like i just had an appraiser come back on a property of mine and they appraised it at 2.9 fixed our performance 4.5. And then the 2.9, and I, I called him up, I'm like, so you think that the market's below 2016? Hmm. And he's like, well, no, absolutely not. I go, well, I sold my house, which is a lesser house up around the corner for 3.2 in 2016, so what are we doing here? And, and it's because they are all being very conservative, so that's kind of how they're getting, it's almost hmm. like you're, they're not saying you have to put more money down, but how yeah. these appraisers are coming in, you gotta bridge it one way or the other. And so that's that's where the more money down parts coming from.
4: I'm seeing the same thing. Just higher higher or lower appraisals. They're being very conservative on value and then that just forces you to come in with more money. Uh, either way you look at it, it's a lender making sure that they're insulating themselves from, you know, a, an additional 5 or 10% cushion. It's it, you know, especially on investment deals. I mean, they're right I'm in a deal right now where there's a hard money lender who is refusing to close on the day of close right now because there's a real estate agent who is making more than 3% commission.
5: Yeah, those days are back.
4: I mean, it's like yeah. really unclosed on, on day of close right now, you're gonna you know pull the, pull that.
3: It's happening. I'm not seeing much of a change. Yeah,
6: yeah, me either. I'm not seeing much
3: of a change. Because it's
6: you're talking conventional, right? well, I'm talking,
3: I'm talking, uh, you know, commercial, small. Commercial. banks, right? So typically uh, and so again, when you talk small local banks, right, it can literally vary from bank to bank, right? Because they have a loan committee to answer to, not government regulations in in some cases. Right. And so I had one small local bank go and say, hey, we're going to start needing 20 percent down from you. Right but i literally had two banks, two conversations with two banks recently. One was willing to do 10% down, one wants 15% down. Both are willing to let me use collateral and existing properties to cover that down payment, Mm. right? And so, but what they want in exchange for the lending is deposits, Mm -hmm. right? Because these small local banks, they need to loan, they need deposits in order to do that. And so they're willing to, you know, Give and take a little bit. So it's just a matter of what lending type you use and what product it is. Now, that's not going to work on a conventional loan, obviously. But for these these small local banks, it's like, what what is it that they need? Can you provide them what they need? And then they can adjust the terms somewhat.
0: Uh, what do you mean by deposits? Like literally just keeping your accounts there and your operating yeah, yeah, accounts yeah. there?
5: Bribing your banker. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'll give you money if you give me I need money deposits back. deposits
4: in my personal. <laughs> <thing>.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's like <laughs> give
5: me money to lend back yeah, to no, you. Yeah. at yeah, interest? If you, you give you me, me a
4: dollar, dollar, I can loan you
2: 10.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> they, How they, the want, of you. they want the yeah. business operating accounts, right? And they want you to keep the majority of your deposits with them. Or they at least want you to have 10% uh, in the bank based on what you have out. Hmm.
5: Yeah, it's because they're paying their depositors less than they can get the money from the Fed from, mm-hmm. you know, and so they get that's where they get their lending power. So yeah, if you're bringing money to a bank right now, they will do a lot of things for you. Yeah
3: i had banks call me and yep. say hey i can get you a rate in the sixes if you're going to put deposits in
0: yeah it's really interesting you see that that's why you see this difference in interest rates on savings accounts right now like all the small local banks are offering like just for normal savings account like four or five yeah. percent whereas like chase and bank of america they don't need deposits right. so they're still offering you know yeah. half a percent because right. they have plenty flush with cash <laughs> right. to be able to do that
6: yeah and that that's how we are too we don't we're not seeing much change in conventional lending and for for people trying to build their portfolio in their own name with conventional loans, it's pretty similar. The only difference we've been seeing is that the 30-year fixed rates are are as good as the arms at this point. Um, Mm. At least they were. Everything changes every day, but just recently, it, it's just been making sense to get the 30-year fixed again. If you're planning on holding the property for a long time, why not?
0: Yeah, that's very good advice because it did seem like arms were ticking up a little bit. in like they were better. November, mm-hmm. December, yeah. but not so much anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question from Christian Tevis is about commercial real estate. Will it be potentially hit harder than residential due to balloon payments and people wanting to refinance and lenders basically just saying no, or I'm gonna again extrapolate, are there any other reasons you think commercial real estate might be hit harder than the residential market?
6: Yeah. (laughs) Can we all just say yes? Yeah. 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 Moving on, Um, next question. It's gonna be an interesting year to see how that goes. There's two sides to it. I mean, there's definitely loans that need to be refinanced this year, a lot coming due, and they're refinancing into a much, much higher rate. Uh, they may have to put more money into the, mm-hmm. the, the deal, they yeah. might have to have capital calls, or they just might not be able to refinance. Um, so the question is how's that going to affect values and are we gonna see a bunch of foreclosures? On the flip side, there's still a ton of money on the sidelines waiting for that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
6: they're gonna get scooped up pretty quickly. Everybody's just kind of wondering where, where are these deals, we want them. Uh, so the, the values may hold up simply because there's just so much money waiting waiting for this to happen.
0: That's a really interesting take. And if anyone listening to this wants to learn more about this topic before everyone else jumps in, we had two really good episodes about this. Mm -hmm. James and I talked to Ben Miller about this. uh, And then Kathy and I talked to Brian Burke, who both had really good uh, thoughts about the commercial market. But anyone else have any? The turtle on top of a turtle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The
5: deleveraging yeah. situation. Yeah. On that episode, it was it was enlightening to me because they were talking about that there there could just be no even if you can bring in and raise that money to pay down your loan balance, the bank still might not issue the loans. And that's you know based on kind of what he was talking about, there could be a massive opportunity. But just like with the opportunity, there's going to be struggle because you're going to have to figure out how to pay for it. Mm-hmm. It's either going to have to be all cash or very very low um, leverage. And so, um, but yeah, it's going to be, it could be the next thing that goes.
3: And even if they do finance it, the interest rates are killing the cash flow. I analyzed the multifamily deal yet or last week before I got here and it was, I mean, six months ago, it made great money and now it's not. So even if the bank says yes, like you still can't perform, right? How do you, yeah. how do you, yep. how do you, you may cover the note, but then you're sitting on a, a break even or you're losing, you know, 10 grand a month and hoping you bank the equity in the next two, three years.
5: That's where the pricing has to come down.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it has to. I mean, it has it has to. To. yeah, yeah. that will it, work. In the yeah. residential market, there's enough home buyers that are not making their decisions purely financially that it does help prop up the market. But when you talk about commercial real estate, it tends to be a very efficient market. It's, it's sophisticated investors who are not going to buy things when they don't cash flow or they know that there's going to be a better deal six months from now. And I was saying uh, to someone yesterday, it's like, I'm, when it comes to commercial, I'm going to do what I uh, always advise people against and try and time the market and be <laughs> a complete <laughs> hypocrite. <laughs>
6: <laughs> but you said sophisticated investors. And over the past few years, there's been unsophisticated investors mm-hmm. in the commercial mm-hmm. space. And and the underwriting, has been they've just been pushing the numbers and pushing the numbers and uh, it was it was obvious that that wasn't going to work, even if interest rates weren't going to go up. Some of those people just weren't underwriting well, and yeah, you know, a lot of us were on the sidelines, just like, wow, how how are you going to squeeze this much money out of something that where the rents have already been raised and the rehab's already been done, and you think you can go in and renovate it again <laughs> and push the rents just because you put in new counters? Doesn't work that way.
5: Shine them up. <laughs> put some lacquer on them <laughs> bad boys <laughs> get them shiny
0: that's why everyone wants to do deals with jams he's got yeah. like beautiful <laughs> advice like shine them up shine, shine,
3: shine, shine, shine that something you yeah. put on the market
0: <laughs> all right what do you all think about the confusing economic data that's been coming out just in the first few months of 2023 some things seem to be really good some things seem to be really bad what does that mean for the housing market over the rest
5: of the year? Big question. <laughs> who who wants to predict question. what's going to happen based, year, based on the market. data and facts that they keep throwing out? <laughs> they change every uh, other it, day. It's, uh. it's
4: like a fish out of water. It's flopping all over the place. Really, right? You and you and I think that <laughs> because of that, because of that, you know, you've got one week. You've got you know indicators that show us that we've got a strong economy, and then the next week there's different news. And then there's layoffs. And, you know, you can't, you really can't get a reading that will give you an honest answer, except to look at the market itself. And that's what I'm doing. I'm looking at the market. I'm looking at activity. I'm looking at, you know, how long our listings lasting? We have an uptick, in, at least in Phoenix and the markets that I'm in, the uptick in pendings that have happened post-holiday have been Insane, right? Mm-hmm. We we've we've seen so much more activity just in the last month and a half than I was expecting to see. Yeah. And so for me, that that's a at least an indication that we and then again, this could just be seasonal, but I feel like people are coming to terms with what we're dealing with now. People are coming to terms with lending being where it is. People are making decisions again. They're they're entering back into the housing market. So, you know, for me, I feel like yes it will we will still feel some pain but activity is going on you know our wholesale activity is very strong our fix and flippers are back in the market they're buying robustly right now i mean they're 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 buying deep deep deals and they're able to come out and and actually put these houses back on the market fast enough and they're actually pen they're actually closing yeah and so you know i'm actually i'm I'm optimistic I'm optimistic about where things are headed
6: it, it feels like a train that was just lost it breaks, right? It's just been screeching uh, or, or zooming. and now it's just trying to break and having a really hard time slowing down this train. So and we we know that, again, I've said it on every single show, you can't print six trillion dollars and think that you can just all of a sudden turn reverse that. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't know if you guys know or you've heard this from your CPAs, but we actually had our CPA call and say, you know, there's still stimulus out there for businesses. You can still apply. Like what, like COVID is not a thing right now, but there's still money out there being handed out. That's gonna really upset some of the listeners, but it's a fact. So that, you know, with that much money that, people either banked on or they 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 spent money over the last two or three years. And it's kind of hard to turn your lifestyle around. It's hard to say, you know what? I, I'm not going to eat as good a steak this, this week <laughs> as I'm going to buy something cheaper. Go to the sizzler. <laughs> so like people are still spending the mm-hmm. money. When you look at the M2 money supply and I'm not an economist, I just look at that and I see a ton of money created over the last few years and not that much out of the system yet it's only come down a little which tells me there's still an enormous amount of money circulating which is what makes things confusing hmm. and why we saw retail sales up in January
0: yeah i i wonder you know there's about 12 15 questions on this list and uh, nine of them are asking us to predict what's going to happen <laughs> in the market <laughs> do you guys think about it like honestly do you think that much about it or are you looking past what's going on or like how much does do you actually think like what's gonna happen in six months or are you sort of comfortable with the idea
5: that it's very uncertain?
6: Oh, I'm, at this I'm point? obsessed with it.
5: Yeah, I'm yeah. A wor- I'm a warrior. Yeah. <laughs> After 2008, you just like, you just worry all the time. Yeah. yeah, But it's, and you have to, like when you're looking at these deals, cause you have to think about when you're disbilling them. Like we just bought a, a raw lot and it was cheap And we didn't really want to buy raw lots right now because we wanted to get everything permitted so we can have it built and stabilized and sold off in nine months. But then again, now we're actually looking at buying more raw lots because the pricing that we can get is so cheap, and we know our dispo is gonna be in 18 to 24 months. And I really do think in 18, 24 months that rates are gonna be the high fives. Mm -hmm. So the market should be better. And so if they're not looking down the road, I think it's a huge mistake. Mm because you can buy the right stuff right now and time it well. Now the time is never gonna be perfect. Like when we were buying deals at the beginning of the year, we did not think we were gonna get smacked Mm -hmm. in July. We thought rates were gonna stay up a little bit. But if you start forecasting that out a little bit, you can really do well. Or like when you're buying these rental properties and if you're buying them and they're barely breaking even or you're getting mediocre cash flow, look at it in two years down the road how long are you going to keep that for if you're going to keep it for one year don't buy that deal but if you're going to keep it for two to five years and restabilize it put new debt on the math changes dramatically and so i'm always looking down the road looking at you know what's going on in the market we had this little flurry like jamil was just talking about we sold a ton of properties in the last two weeks and now i'm like all right the, the cool thing about what we get to see right now is the rates have crept back up and is it going to keep going? And if it keeps going, I'm jumping on the gas mm. because it, it was, it's more of a psychological thing than a financing thing. And so um, I think it's really important to be looking down the road.
0: Well, I, I want to follow up on that because, you know, I, I think that's true. Like the whole premise of the show is that you should be an informed investor. But there's, you know, when you see this contradictory information back and forth, like how do you how do you navigate that? Do you like form a hypothesis in your head and just like go forward? Or are you constantly changing it or how do you how do you do that? I,
3: I try not to focus on too much on the macro and I look more at the micro, right? Because I am investing in one, maybe call it two markets, right? And so like I can't control all of what I'm seeing on the macro level. But if I'm going to make money on the micro level in my market, then I need to understand what the KPIs are doing within my individual markets and so for me it's all about underwriting right i insulate myself from risk by buying deep and i can only buy deep if i understand what deep truly means in my market right and so you know i've talked about it on another show like i'm just super strict with my comping right now because even whatever i'm buying if comps are older than 60 days Mm -hmm. then i'm subtracting The ARV, I'm subtracting a percentage, and that percentage I'm gonna subtract is what's the list price to sale price ratio been over the last 60 days, right? So when a property gets listed, what does it actually end up selling for? And then I average that out. So if on average, properties are selling for 20% less than what they get listed for, and I don't have, up-to-date comps in the last 30 days, I'm saying, great. My realtor says ARV is 300. I'm subtracting 20% off that. That's my ARV. That's what I'm using to base all of my analysis on. And then I'm making my offers based on. Now, that means that I may buy less deals because sellers don't want that type of offer. And that's okay. I You have to be more strict. But all of those are micro level numbers in my specific market because that's all the data I have to go off of, right? And so I'm not Stopping my investing. I'm just trying to make sure that what I do buy, I'm buying with the understanding of the ARV today may not be the ARV tomorrow. And the only data I have is going to tell me what percentage to drop that. And then and then we do those things. Right. And and again, I, I have a more. I don't want to say, it's not it's not a risk-free investment strategy, but I, I buy singles and small multis, right? So I'm not buying deals where I'm millions of dollars out of pocket. I'm not buying deals, you know, large-scale multifamily commercial buildings that are costing millions and millions of dollars, right? And so at the end of the day, I'm buying a product in a market where I know we have tons of jobs. And so there's going to be a demand for rent. At the end of the day, everything that I buy, if I have to just turn it into a rental, I can, and I'll probably make money. Worst case scenarios, I'll break even. And so like the risk isn't that massive for me. Do I, do I not want to turn a profit on those ones that I want to sell and make a flip? No, I absolutely want to flip them. But if I have to pivot, I can, right? And so my investing strategy just allows for me to be able to be a little more risky, but I'm still very, very strict on the underwriting.
4: I'm a wholesaler, so I get to live in the present.
0: (laughs)
2: <laughs> mm,
4: that's true. That's very it's true. It's very true. Yeah. It's the most Zen way to be.
0: Yeah, I, it, that, that makes a lot of sense. Just being so, able to not worry about what James is talking about. You don't yeah. have to worry about yeah. what's going to happen 18, 24 months from now. Right. So you're selling
3: the deal now. So now's what matters. Exactly, yeah.
4: and I'm I'm paying attention to the temperature right now. I get to hear specifically where buyers are, and a, a deal either sells or it doesn't sell. If a deal doesn't sell, we can renegotiate. You know, and it's it's just what it is. The seller really needs to get out of the deal or needs to sell a house, and we can't make the numbers work. We can't make the numbers work. It it's just we are, but we're very open. We're transparent with the people that we're talking to and we're working with. We're we we're not we're not pretending we can make things work that we can't make work. We're just being completely open and saying, look, the market's going to dictate and it's going to tell us where this thing needs to be in order for it to trade. And we either trade or we don't.
6: Yeah. For me, I'm obsessed with it because partly because I have a lot of people who listen to me on my podcast and also in our business that that I feel like I need to know because we're in so many markets and we help people buy in those markets and every market is different, but the markets we focus on seem to be less affected by any of it. And that's why we're in those markets. Uh, But I live in a volatile market. So for my own personal reasons, I want to know what's going on, but also just, again, to be able to answer questions like that, like what in the world is going on. And so for me, I feel extremely positive that, over this coming year, we're going to see rates come down simply because the year-over-year inflation data, is it's got to look better. Mm -hmm. When we get to the summer and we had the highest inflation, we were at, what, 9%? Mm -hmm. And we're going to be doing Mm -hmm. year-over-year. I just, I can't imagine that it wouldn't be better. And if it's better... Rates follow inflation. If inflation's coming down, we should see rates come down. Mm -hmm. Now, within the housing market, in the residential housing market that I'm mostly focused on, there is still, I want to see where the inventory levels are. If inventory levels are going up, that's going to be concerning. They're not. They're coming down, and that's equally concerning. Inventory levels continuing to come down because of that lock-in effect. Mm -hmm. People in those low interest rates not wanting to leave. So when, in my opinion, when we see potentially rates come down this summer and this inventory housing inventory under a million it's my opinion that we're going to see another boom and if you're operating thinking that it's going to be a housing crash you're going to miss the boat Mm -hmm. so to me it's again very very important to stay on top of the fundamentals that might flip that switch
5: but then there's also the fundamentals of like how are people going to afford it yeah like you look at you play with a mortgage calc sometimes and i'm like okay yeah and then i'm like yeah, who's going to pay $10,000 a month to live right here? Mm-hmm.
6: Well, not like everybody. It, people,
5: it's
2: crazy.
6: <laughs> but yeah. uh, the, that, that um, National Association of, How- of um, Home Builders report came out saying that when rates get down to 5.5, it will be another 5 million people who can afford. So yeah. if you only have a million less than a million in inventory, not everybody has to be able to afford it. You need some people to. So it's just yeah. Yeah. for the amount of people that will be back in the market this summer, because prices have either come down or are flat. So you have potentially lower home prices, lower interest rates. It could be 10 million people that can afford.
0: That's true.
4: And and people are being more creative with how they're qualifying and how they're purchasing homes too. I mean, you've got folks that are jumping in on houses together. You've got people that normally you'd have, you know, a family that would be two incomes qualifying, but now you've got friends going in and buying homes together so that they can afford a place to live. Like it's, we are definitely changing the way that we're navigating this whole, whole affordability situation, especially right now. And what Kathy is saying, I think is absolutely true. When rates come back down, I believe just looking at where inventory is right now, how how could another boom not happen?
5: No. Yeah. I mean, there, there is nothing for sale. It's just, but then you look at it and I'm like, I know, like if you look at the core demographics of who's buying like in a neighborhood, you take a step back and you go, okay, like in North Seattle for us, it's like tech workers. We know that they're tech buyers. We know they make 140 to 175 grand a year. And then I'm looking at the housing cost and I'm looking at the rates and I'm going, how are these, And but then they're still there. We had 20, 30 showings last weekend on a, house, a couple properties where I didn't see that many bodies come through just with the rates coming down a half point. Mm-hmm. And so- We need to post up at James's open houses and be like, excuse me, how are you gonna afford this? <laughs> <laughs> sure, well, a lot it's of it's your banking app.
3: Well, it's two-income yeah. households too a lot of the yeah, time of as two, well. Yeah. Yeah.
5: But e- even at that, I'll, like I look at the math and I'm like their DTI is like 55%. This doesn't make sense. But yeah,
0: I, I totally agree. I think like Kathy and Jamil, what you're saying though is like you're sort of banking on rates going down, right? That's what would potentially bring another boom. But there is a chance that they don't come back down. Yeah. I mean, eventually sure. they will. Every, yeah, everything's yes. a cycle, right? Yes, of course. But I, I just think like they're – I was feeling pretty confident that rates were going to go back below 6% up until like three weeks ago. And now with the jobs report and the not so great inflation data, it seems like the Fed might go even higher and higher than they were originally saying just like a month or two ago. So I think it's really, personally, I believe it's like pretty, 50-50 50-50 about where mortgage rates will end this year. I think
6: that's kind of
5: everybody's call right now. It could what? go up, it could go down. <laughs> it's oh, yeah, it's deep, deep, very deep, deep. profound. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah.
0: it's a, what did you call it, a
6: fish flopping it in the air. Yeah, a it's fish, a fish out of water. water. Yeah. It's flip flopping <laughs> exactly what's
0: much. going on. I know, but it, I do feel like in January, it was feeling like there was a little bit of direction and momentum, right? Like interest rates had peaked back in November. They were at 7.4. They were like coming down to 6 and then we had this crazy job report, which just so you understand, like the Fed has these two jobs: it's to control inflation and to maximize employment. And so when they see maximum employment, they're like, "We're going to go hard after inflation," because that gives them the green light to do that. And so that, on top of the inflation report, which was like pretty bleh, um, might they now they're saying instead of you know the Fed pausing at five percent, it might be five and a half percent, might be five and three quarters. So now it just. Feels like we were so close to getting a little bit of like momentum and direction, and now it's just all back up in the air again.
6: Wait, wait till May. I really, I think it's going to be up and down. I, I think we'll really get a better idea next month uh, because we just came out of the holidays. And, um, but again, this summer when rates really hit a peak, I mean when inflation, inflation peaked. Yeah and rates did too. Mm-hmm. You know, again, mortgage rates follow inflation. Um just looking year over year, we'd have to have massive inflation for it to be higher this summer. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, hopefully you all enjoyed listening for an hour <laughs> for us to say we don't know what's going to Rates yeah. might go up, they might go down. Yep. But I think all the advice here in in all honesty is really helpful. It helps you mitigate the market. I think everyone here is a testament to the fact that you can't just Sit on the sideline and be afraid. You have to try and form your own opinions and, you know, get the information that you need to be able to make decisions and actually act and move forward in a market like this.
6: And then also, I mean, you know, coming back to what you know, what Henry said, he knows his market so well. Mm-hmm. He knows a good deal, regardless of what's happening anywhere else. He knows what's going to pencil and what's going to work. And he's got a backup plan. If that plan doesn't work, same with you. Jamil, you know your market mm-hmm. and, and you don't take as much risk with the wholesaling. You obviously know your market.
3: Sometimes. So- sometimes.
6: <laughs> <laughs> but James likes it's, risk. And, and it's a higher price point. So there yeah. is more risk there. But yeah. you, uh, you know, if you take a loss, no, no one's going to cry for you. <laughs>
5: I cry for me. Oh, yeah.
6: I cry for me, Kathy. How many,
5: how
3: many plane tickets did you buy to get here, James?
2: He I didn't t- buy a ticket. two. You.
3: You, oh,
5: yeah. You didn't take the jet? No, I'd ride coach, man. Oh, okay. Unless, they,
3: unless you get the jet. He just buys one. three tickets. He just buys three it. tickets like to make sure it. one of them
5: sticks. Well, you got to have multiple exit strategies. <laughs> I was like, hey, look, Literally, if my, my yeah. flight, and that worked, my flight got canceled. Luckily, I had a backup slid right in. Yeah, I'm, and I made it here. <laughs> you made it. it worked really <laughs> well for you. Multiple Did you really X's have strategies? multiple? I yeah, I one <laughs> an LAX and a Joan Wayne. Yeah, wow. And he I got mean, here, and he, he got here.
3: Snowstorm. I say That's it. I say it at least once a month. Everybody
0: needs a James Standard proof. <laughs> <laughs> man, oh man, oh man. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We're calling it Happy Hour. We're gonna get out of here. Go to real Happy Hour. Hopefully, um, if you guys haven't yet, please give us a review. We really appreciate them. We did get a couple more recently and those were awesome. They're really, really valuable to us. So if you like this kind of show, let us know. Thanks for listening. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kalen Bennett, produced by Kalen Bennett, editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media, research by Pooja Jindal, and a big thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies.